0: Good morning. It is amazing to be with you today. We love this community so much that we engineered a way to be here all weekend. Uh, we had the bingo night fundraiser uh, in the adjacent building on Friday night, and it was great fun. Uh, Drew was our bingo caller, and uh, you know, he does a lot of things with excellence, and there's some headroom there uh, <laughs> as far as uh, a skill set goes, and so. Uh, last night we did a Compassion First night of worship at Living, uh, Living Hope in Coopville. Uh, that event for us originated here last year and we've done, I'd say, somewhere between 15 or 20 of them now and are doing them also in Indonesia. And so uh, there's just been a lot for us that has started right here uh, in our Compassion First story. Uh, your support and partnership uh, for Compassion First is a matter of uh, history and depth and maturity and uh, i don 't say that just as a, a platitude, uh, it started in two thousand and five with Hurricane Katrina, and your church sent nine teams to the Gulf and I think that Shirley led most of those teams, um, if not all of them, um, not all of them, uh, most of them and uh, And the thing is about that is that you were part of the rebuilding story there. You could see the progress in that neighborhood, and, and that their story was your story, it was a shared story. It was hands-on, um, and it was selfless service, but it's quite different than what it is now, that you're a continued part of our story and we're a continued part of your story, but the likelihood is that none of you will ever step foot in Indonesia um, where you can buy a batik shirt like this. You, and and that's, that's selflessness. Drew and I were talking a minute ago about uh, how God engineered care for the poor, we have sacraments in the church. And it's a sacrament if it's a really important thing. Communion. The, the intimacy with God as demonstrated by communion. The personal consumption of Jesus and receiving him. Baptism. The submersion of our whole lives. Submitted to him. A public declaration. Um, marriage. This idea that God is, is a part of us. And giving. Giving of alms is an engineered way of heaven to care for the poor. How much does he care for the poor? That he would make it sacramental. And that a church life is not a full life unless there is a selfless extension that we have no control over. That's what giving is, by the way. That's faithful giving. That's tithe to a church. Tithe isn't a New Testament concept, by the way. The New Testament concept is way bigger than tithe and the, and frankly the old testament concept goes up to 30%. And I'm not saying that's what you have to do to be religiously pure. I'm just saying that when Abraham said I'm giving you 10% Melchizedek, it was like an impulse of his heart. Nobody told him to do it. He's like I have seen God and I got to do something and this is something I can do. And it's and there are things that we can do. There's some things that I can do. There's some things that you can do. And, and the thing is, is that when I do it, you do it. And when you do it, I do it. I'm going to be in Indonesia in five or six days. And I wish you could all go with me because I wish you could meet our staff. I wish you could meet the people we serve. I'm, in, I'm uniquely positioned to do that. My wife gives me permission to go. There's things that I do. There's things that you do. We all do it all. God bless this church this church family. This is my church family. You make us feel home here. I want to just make mention that we have important people here this weekend. Uh, Two of our field directors are here, uh, Valerie Bellamy, who oversees our field operations in partnership with our national director, and Becky Davis, who lives in Indonesia, is here, and then our uh, Tracy Esposeth, who runs our U.S. office, is also here, and they'll be around. Um, And then i just make note that there's an everyday advocate information piece here and a, uh, a response card. And this is not just for financial giving. We want you to be a part of the story and get the updates and, and everything. And however we get to share life with you is valuable to us. And so, There was a $10,000 match put up for this weekend. If you do give this weekend, that'll get matched, and we are very grateful. Um, I think that that came uh, out of a family in this church, I'm pretty sure. So um, it's anonymous, um, of course, as it should be. So I want to just, I'm not bringing a big update. I'm just going to talk a minute about um, A Weary World World Rejoices. That's our Christmas theme that's going to be a part of your... Um, of your advent this year, uh, the arrival offering. And it all sort of centers around this woman named Menar for us, who, when we went into the cemeteries, and, and without giving a big introduction, if you don't know a thing about us, if you've just been stationed here in the last six months, get one of these and you'll, you'll learn. Menar was everything to us in the cemeteries. We met her about a year after we went into the Yellowflower Cemetery, and she worked uh, at night in the cemetery, uh, selling herself to feed her family. And it's just amazing. You know, there's a theology to showing up, and, and we kept showing up, and she kept showing up. And she was, her story is that she was the first of everything for us. Her oldest daughter was the first one to take an education sponsorship and to go excel in school. I believe that she was also the first one to go to college uh, out of the cemetery. Uh, Menar was the first one that we know of that left her work in the cemetery. Uh, She was the first one that I know of that started a small business, and she actually started several small businesses and and provided for her family through different means than she had historically done. She was the first one to come to Christ, come to faith in Christ. And here's how that happened. You seem to know Jesus. What can you tell me about him? You know, that's how the Holy Spirit works, by the way. Sometimes we feel pressurized as believers that i got to get the message in. And just that pressurization is actually a lack of trust in the Holy Spirit. You know what? He got a hold of you and me. He's pretty good at it, right? <laughs> We're not special. <laughs> Menar passed away in 2001. Just 34 years old, died in her sleep, left four children behind, three of them very small. And it was one of those things where, like, I'm not sure how we go on. And, and I don't, if I talk too much about it, it might tilt into idolatry. This woman was so special, this tiny, illiterate woman. I will work for her in heaven, I know it. I know she'll be my chain of command. She was an usher in her church. After she got saved, she found a church. She knew she had to go to church. She became an usher. She served in the church. Just the, the purity of it all. And so her legacy lives on. We've... In a new cemetery, the Rose Cemetery, we've leased a building that will become an entrepreneurship center and a drop-in center, and it will be called Minar's House. And our offering this Christmas is to fund that legacy and prayerfully keep those doors open until Jesus comes back. And so I just want to thank you, Pastor, for letting us be a part of the life of this church and including that, and if God moves on your heart in that way, um, we're just grateful. If we can turn to John 19 this morning. I want to say that uh, I've been hard on John, historically. Um, I'm confessing that. And before judging me on being hard on a disciple, every one of us has heard some preacher make some dumb joke about Peter. (laughs) And it's not fair, and it's not cool. Because Peter just had stuff on board that most of us don't. He was brave, right? And when you're brave, you say dumb things, you know? And then you just pay the price for it. And he just kept moving along. John i here's my i 'm not hard on him anymore, but my issue with him, my misplaced issue with him was his constant self reference to being the disciple that Jesus loved and he just sounds like an insecure puny little man you know when he does that doesn 't God love all of us and why are you saying this why are you doing this to yourself this doesn 't look good and I just point out two realizations for me personally first the realization that God loves me, when I realized that I'd been walking with him for a long time before I realized he loved me. It's a path that we all take. We get saved and we go down a stoic path and we try to earn that love. It's a bad path. He loves us fully right now. Second, I just think John was realizing the full love of God. And I think what he was realizing was, no, I actually love him. And it was a softer way of him saying, you know, instead of saying, I'm the disciple that actually loved him, it was easier to say, I know he loved me, right? You know, I think that as, a, as an organization, as a ministry, me as a pastor, we could have all of the best tools and all of the excellence in the world. And listen, i got a front row seat to a lot of work going on around the world. And there is excellence everywhere. But there is excellence without love. And it is noise. It is noise. John has some street cred on love. Mark 14 tells us that all of the disciples abandoned Jesus, but actually John didn't. We know that Peter was in proximity to the crucifixion, but John was on the front row we turn to John 19, I'm going to just read from the New Living Translation, 25 to 27. It says, Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. A lot of Marys. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here's your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. In this verse... We actually have one of the seven statements of the Christ from the cross. And a flyby on those statements, they were all profound, by the way. You can build a lot on the seven statements of the Christ from the cross. All of them just des- des- describing the tension between the-, the, tension, the tension of God incarnate, fully God, fully man, dying actively on a cross. The seven statements I thirst. The fullness of humanity, I thirst. Surely today you'll be with me in paradise. What kind of mercy is this that that guy who had nothing to give was the first one to know the first fruits of heaven? It changes our thinking about who's worthy. Mom, your son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How how does he identify with us? How deep the loneliness and the feeling of being completely forgotten by a loved one, let alone everybody else? It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then this one. Bothers me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know why it bothers me? I think they knew what they were doing. I mean, let's analyze that. Did they know they were killing the Messiah? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. But at the very least, they knew they were trading an innocent man for a guilty one. And maybe they didn't have their head fully wrapped around that. At the very least, they were involved in blood sport, which is wrong. They should have known better, right? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So here's the whole sermon right here. Jesus was actively forgiving those who were crucifying him as they were crucifying him, actively. And those who truly loved God, this is the lesson. How are we supposed to engage this cultural milieu right now? That's a dumpster fire. Those who truly loved him were reverently sitting in the front row and watching it happen. That's how we're supposed to engage it. It's a confusing message. This one might get me not invited back. (laughs) They were more concerned about their heart's connection to the dying Savior than the atrocities committed by other people. That is the life lesson even for the moment that we're in right now. Our world is actively crucifying the Savior, and the Savior is continuing to actively forgive the world that is actively crucifying him. And so many in our midst are saying it is time to fight back. Ball up your fists and let's go. Which is not the Savior, and it was not John, Mary, Mary, and Mary. Listen, everything about Jesus is different from this place we live. Everything about him is upside down. Bruce Shelley wrote in his book, Church History in Plain Language, Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central event the humiliation of its God. We lose our way when we fight things the way the world fights things. Or when we fight at all. Because ultimately, what we rely on is the work of the Holy Spirit. And our open-handedness is the proof that we trust the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. We have proofs everywhere that we don't. And I'm not saying this to convict anybody. I'm just saying it is a tough world to navigate. It's like the encounter Paul had on the road to Damascus when he's confronted by the Holy Spirit himself, by Jesus himself. Paul, why are you persecuting me? I didn't know it was you. And I think sometimes we need to have an I don't know it was you moment. Even considering the things that we participate in the, the public space, a decision gets made from powers on high that favors our position. I don't think that that's the time to spike the football and take the victory lap because it does nothing to change the heart of man. Legislated morality does not change the heart of man. The Holy Spirit changes the heart of man. I think John actually earned the right to be called the disciple who Jesus loved. We have such a contrast in behavior over the final two weeks of Jesus' life. And the book of John is amazing because it's granular. Most of the book is those final two weeks. The majority of the book. The problem with that for the rest of the disciples is it's a microscope. We see their bad behavior up close. The behavior of the disciples in the last two weeks was atrocious. Unfortunately for them, it's in this time span that we learn the most about them. This three-year funded road trip that I've talked about before was coming to an end. We all behave badly when we're running out of money. And they wanted something different from Jesus. They wanted his spiritual power to turn into political force. Does it sound oddly familiar? Maybe Jesus is going to throw off Rome. You going to burn this thing down, Jesus? This idea survived the resurrection, by the way. They were so convinced of this, and they were so. And Jesus saying, "No, it's not like that." And they were so convinced that they were campaigning against him, and having open air arguments about who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom. That was not a heavenly argument. That was when it's set up here on earth. Like next week, can I be your, v, be your VP and can I be your Secretary of State? That's what that was. I'm going to suggest two or three observations from the life of John this morning. I think they apply to our times. I think they're necessary. And the first is this. Loving Jesus, which is intimacy even in chaos. Intimacy, it's the only answer. When I was a youth pastor, I did not have a lot on board. Let me just confess for the sake of all youth pastors in their 20s, none have a lot on board. Our frontal lobe hasn't fully come in, right? We're, go take care of the teenage kids and be safe. I have a lot more on board now and realize that I couldn't be a youth pastor. That's what happens when the frontal lobe comes in. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but I knew this. I knew that at some point... These teenagers were going to be confronted with their faith and, and have to reconcile it and work it out in their own hearts, and a lot of them were going to deconstruct. And we're seeing a lot of that now. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. You know why kids deconstruct? They want the truth. It's a motivation for truth. Now, some deconstruct with anger, and that's not productive. So I just changed my preaching. I just said, hey, when your religion gets confusing, default to love. It'll get you back to the cross. I've said that to all three of my kids. Hey, if you're going to tear this thing down, do it with integrity. And default to love. It'll get you back to Jesus. It'll get you back there. Even when things are confusing. Because sometimes we just need to remember that God loves us. And then sometimes we need to remember that a bunch of humans also love us because they know the love of God. That's the church. Then we wander our way back into church. And then we realize that we have the privilege of love and we start giving it away. And that's motivated by love. I mean, it's just dumb. And it's just that simple. Even when things are confusing. I have to believe that John, Mary, Mary, and Mary, that in the moment of the crucifixion, their faith became confusing. I have to believe that. That this world was suddenly confusing for them. So we can say with some exemplary authority that it's this is also the right thing for us, that when, when our faith becomes confusing and our world is confusing, that love is the answer and that love is the default. Unfortunately, in the flesh, it's not the thing that we run to. I am so quick to ball my fists up to fight. I am so quick. I'm watching this dog trainer because I'm trying to figure out how to chill out my pit bull on YouTube, right? And, and he's talking about these dogs that lunge out of the dogs. And he says, see, the problem is he likes that. You know why I do this? I like it. <laughs> I like it. My daughter got in trouble for hitting when she was two years old in, in, in Sunday school, Right? And I went into a room and I said, hey, what would you get in trouble for today? And she thought about it for a second and her eyes lit up she goes, hitting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sometimes hitting is the right answer, right? You know. <laughs> every pastor, Drew, myself, everybody, at every wedding that they've ever done, they've gone to 1 Corinthians 13. Patient, love is, kind, love doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, doesn't dishonor others. There's no qualification for others, by the way. Not easily angered, doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Against these things there is no law. Here's my problem. Love is patient. I don't have a lot of that. These things are hard. These are not my default. My default is reactivity, anger, self-righteousness. I'm right, you're wrong. I have rights. I don't have to put up with that. Here's the thing. We've all done this, internally at least, I'm a grace-filled believer. I believe in grace for others. I don't have to put up with that, though. That's my, that's my boundary. It's the challenge of grace. Listen, in our cultural milieu right now, and I agree, it is a mess. The culture is pouring wet cement as fast as it can and asking us to walk on it like it's been formed for a thousand years. It's a lie. I get it. I just think it means that the qualities of Christ have the opportunity to become bigger in us. Unfortunately, I have a lot of friends proving to be smaller right now. Social media is an awful venue. It's anger. It's fighting. I understand the, the emotion that's behind it. It's honest, right? But it doesn't get anything done. My friend Dan Merchant in his movie Lord Save Us From Your Followers said, you know what you get when you fight fire with fire? A bigger flame. And then the sentiment, oh, I just want Jesus to come back. We're getting so left and we're getting so weird. I just want Jesus to come back, and I rebuke that. I want him to come back too. But when that is spoken, and honestly, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's look in the mirror. When that is spoken, do we not also mean let him come back, and while he's coming back, he's going to destroy all these people we don't like, That on the one hand, and then on the other hand, what are we saying to him? Well, cut your losses now, God. It was a nice try. Better luck next time. You've lost this battle. That is not the truth. We serve a transcendent Savior above all things who saw creation break in the fall into a billion sharp-edged pieces and saw it all, including today's story. He is transcendent above it all. This can careen off into a big debate about how to engage the culture. How then should we really live? How should we treat others? And we can play games of dueling scriptures. And my hater friends can come at me with scriptures and call me unrighteous. And and they're kind of right because it just makes me want to fight them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Real red-letter scriptures. Law says, "Love your neighbor, hate your enemy." I say, "Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you." You'll be acting as your true children of your Father in Heaven. Persecution's an extreme, by the way. I think sometimes we love that word and we haven't experienced it. We opened a shelter in Bekasi, Indonesia, outside of Jakarta. It's a green zone, which means it's not only predominantly Muslim, but it's very conservative Muslim. We love the Muslims, by the way. Um, we are able to open there because of a pastor. Pastor Saroyan 30 years ago, p- planted a church in this green zone. Faced persecution, life-threatening persecution. And he never retaliated. He just kept loving this community. And he is now the most favored man in this community. His best friend is the Muslim mayor. He shares a parking lot with a large mosque and their buddies... He won. he won. He did it Jesus' way, and he prevailed. And he has peace on his life. And you know what happens when you have peace on your life? You get to share it with people like me and say, we want to do aftercare here. Come on in. You have favor here with everybody. Love your enemies. Forgiveness is a 70 times 7 metric. Jesus is different from this world, and he's different from us. Everything about him is different, and we're in pursuit of him. And we must resist the temptation to go the way of the world and justifying anything that is counter to Christ for the sake of Christ. Let me just say a second thing this morning, a little quicker. I think John showed us the difference between following Jesus from leading Jesus. And I think we lead Jesus a lot of the time. Just take a minute on this. A challenging thing. Again, might not be super popular after this, but we are guilty of leading Jesus. I'm going this way. God, would you please bless it? This is my business venture. God, please bless it with economic blessing. This is where I'm taking the church. Among church leaders, God, will you bless it? It's in your name, by the way. Move, God. Listen, in our Pentecostal tradition, we do some things that I think are bad behavior, we yell at God tell him what to do heal this person you do it now even different from the imprecatory psalms where where david's citing a promise i don't think god deserves to hear us yell at him my friend chad he runs the accord network and and i serve on his board it's our trade association for christian relief and development has stage four lung cancer he's two years younger than me i am heartbroken and my first prayer it changed the way I pray because my first prayer and I didn't plan this it wasn't it wasn't articulated in my heart before it came out of my mouth it just said Jesus I'm so sorry about your friend Chad praying to God with empathy for the Savior he loves us all he hurts for us it's one of the reasons why John is so unique. I think he's the only one that wasn't sold on a revolution. You want a biblical example of leading Jesus, manipulating Jesus? Why did Peter go into the garden and conceal carry? I mean, he had that thing with him at dinner. And he had one of those conversations that a lot of us have before, in front of the mirror when we're about to do something that we really know deep in our hearts that we shouldn't do. Should I take it? Should I not take it? Should I take it? I'm going to take it. Why did he do that? When were they ever weaponized? He did it because he was trying to incite a riot that Jesus would have to get visually involved with to settle down, and he was trying to generate a revolution because people would follow Jesus. He was trying to engineer the overthrow of Rome. That's leading Jesus. That's God, put your stamp of approval on this sinful behavior. And what did Jesus do? He actively healed the man who was actively arresting him, which looks a lot like actively forgiving the world that's actively crucifying you. Let me just say this as an application. If you are a manipulator, if you are a controller... What you need to know is that God is never ever in it. Not one ounce. You are on your own. This is why I try to not be. I don't have I'm too lazy. If you are a liar, you are on your own. It's not just that it's sin, it's that it's 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 void of God. You don't have his help. If you are a controller in your household, I just advise that you just drop it right now. There's no Holy Spirit energy in it. We get to follow Jesus. These graves that we serve among. There was a day when I was alone in that cemetery and God said to me, this is where I am. You can come if you want to. We did not take Jesus there. You can come if you want to. He invites us into things that he's doing. It's actually, let me just finish this way to say, the third thing is trusting Jesus, which I started with. It's quite different than pleasing Jesus. If you want somebody to break this theology down for you, talk to Shirley, because she knows the people that wrote the books on this. Pleasing Jesus is a pathway of good intention, but it is a black hole because he already loves you 100%. You can't earn it. Well, aren't we supposed to please Jesus? Isn't there a scripture about it? Yeah, you want to know how you do it? You trust him. That's how we please Jesus, faith. You trust him. That notion of Jesus just come back, it's a faithless one. It means we don't believe in God the way the Bible describes Him, because we're telling Him, "Cut your losses. These people aren't worth it." It's faithless, and the measure of our pleasure before God is our faith—just believing in Him. And and there's a modicum of it that's demonstrated in Scripture. And I pray this all the way, God. I am praying for something I don't think You're going to do. You got to change my heart, my faith about this. That the Bible says that's faith. Never have I seen such faith. Let me finish this way. In the foot of the cross worship team, you can return if you, if you're here. Let's go back to the foot of the cross. We covered a lot today. It's a lot to digest. There's a lot to practically realize at the foot of the cross. And there's a lot to miss if we're far from it. John was the only disciple to get an assignment from the Christ on the cross. He was the only one that was on the front row. It's the same for us, by the way. I was, years ago, flying from Freetown, Sierra Leone to London. And there is not a bigger contrast than the slums of Sierra Leone to the sharp-dressed, articulate flight attendants wearing these blue bonnets on British Airways Airlines. And they are, I mean, the guys, they are fit, you know, and they, they speak the Queen's English, and it's just, you know, it's prim. And it wasn't a very full flight. I was in a row by myself, and there was a Leonian man across the aisle, and I think it was the first time he ever flew. And he was gripping the seat and just pulling it back and drilling his head into it and shaking. And this tall, sharp, good-looking British Airways flight attendant comes and he he kneels down and he says, Sir, can I help you? And, And this guy is just like, How do you do this? This is so frightening. And he had several questions. And this British Airways flight attendant answered every question with this phrase. Well... I'm a Christian man. So I put my trust in Jesus, and then he would go on and give, and then this is what I do. What do you do then? Well, I'm a Christian man. I'm telling you five, six times. I heard this man say, I'm a Christian man. And i got to tell you, I think it's the conversation starter for absolutely everything. Why are you so generous? Why is this church so generous? Well, we're Christians. It's the answer to everything. Why are we doing trunk or treat? Well, we're Christians. We're Christian men and women. Why do we do living works? Well, we're Christians. Why do we come to worship on Sunday? Well, we're Christians. We're Christian men and women. Why do we love each other? We're Christian men and women. Why do we share our burdens with each other? Why do we call each other when we get in fights with our spouses? Because we need help. (laughs) We're Christians. I'm a Christian man. motivates everything. I'm so grateful. It doesn't mean I have the answers. Actually, it humbles me because I'm sobered to what if I don't. But man, it's a good story. And so I just put my faith in it. And I believe it. God in heaven, can we stand together? God in heaven we come in the name of Jesus. Because we believe that promise that Jesus made that we could use his name. He said you would hear us and that you would answer us. What an amazing thing. So we just believe that today. I pray for this church. What a beautiful expression of the body of Christ. And Lord, let it be even more so in the days to come. Lord, as we go into this season of the sacrament of giving alms, that you would connect us to the poor and you would show us the joy that's there. The things that we can't explain. Lord, the mysteries that even the Scripture says, it's like a man with a woman. You just can't explain it, really. But it's that beautiful. And that's how beautiful you are. And so I pray for healing that needs to take place in this room. We all walk in with our intractable problems, Lord God. And may the answers just start with something like, I'm a Christian man. So I'm looking to you. And so those places of pain, that scripture calls them scorched places, long dead. Scripture says that if we take care of the poor, you bring those places back to life. What a mystery. And so, Lord, we all come poor and with a desire to take care of each other. And where that's void, will you supplant that with your Holy Spirit? We invite you today. We know the scripture says that Jesus comes where he's invited. And so we invite you in. Holy Spirit, we invite you in even now. All of who you are. And surrender all of who we are. I'm not much of an evangelist. But I just feel compelled to say with everybody's eyes closed. if if, If today is the day that you surrender your life to Jesus ask him in and ask him to forgive you of your sins and I have no expectations on this room I'm not going to stand here until somebody raises their hand but if that is you if that is the Holy Spirit working in your heart today would you raise your hand and allow me to pray with you and I see you over here and I see you and I see you two in the back is there anybody else I don't want to miss you, I want to acknowledge you Would you agree with me in this prayer, those that have your hands raised? Jesus, we come to you with all of who we are, and we take this trade, all of who you are. Would you forgive us of our sins? And Lord, this day, may we surrender to you and know what it means to know you and love you in the manner that you intend, and not that any human would tell us, but that we would know you. And we thank you for it. Thank you for this free gift of salvation today. Unearned grace. And we surrender the things in our lives that need to be healed. In Jesus' name, amen.